This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. Though meditation is the primary focus, the bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Hey guys, this is Tal, and welcome to Den Talks, a podcast that features successful people from all walks of life taking us on their journey of self-discovery to help you with yours. Today, we're lucky enough to sit down with Ryan Weiss. You might remember his name if you listen to the Jamie Lynn episode, and if you haven't, I suggest you do. She mentions him a few times because he was actually her coach and a dear friend of hers and has helped her through a lot of her stuff. He's incredible. He's a yoga and meditation teacher. He teaches mitigation at the Den. He's also the creator of Waking Up With Ryan Daily Newsletters. In this episode, we do talk how he did start in entertainment and how he's had this crazy journey off the stage of Broadway from Wicked to now being this spiritual, I don't want to say guru because he doesn't like that, but leader. He took a huge leap to find his purpose. We discussed the imposter syndrome, which I think we can all relate to, and how he chose not to settle. When he started saying yes to the universe, the universe started working for him. So he actually gives us a ton of cool tools on how you too don't have to settle for anything less than you deserve. Stay tuned for Ryan's personal practice at the end of the podcast, where he's going to share a meditation on facing your problems. Ryan Weiss, life coach extraordinaire. He also is a yoga and meditation instructor. We're here at the Den. He teaches meditation once a month, and he's the brains, voice, and spirit behind Waking Up With Ryan, where you get daily emails every single day that really kind of puts yourself on track for the day. I love those emails, by the way. Thank you. They're amazing. And I'm, I'm telling you, if anyone hasn't seen them, you should actually go sign up for it because it is just a great way to like start with a different perspective in your morning. We're all reaching for our phones and computers anyway, so you might as well actually do something great with them that actually sets it in motion for a good day. So one of the reasons I'm so glad Ryan is here is because he's actually a very good friend of mine, and we always have so much fun sitting and chatting, so I'm excited to chat with you here. And I think, I feel like I've known you forever. We say that every time we're together. Absolutely. And we've really only known each other, is it two years now? Max. Yeah. Maybe not even that long. Oh, yeah, two years. But about two years. Yeah. But every time we see each other, we're like, how have we not known each other forever? It just feels like family. And I've always wondered if part of that is because we both did have a very similar history. Mm -hmm. So we both started in entertainment. And now, so talk a little bit about that. I wanted to start there. Like, what were you doing in entertainment? And then how did you get here? Yeah. Well, most recently, I was a director of development at a production company, which is what you were doing just at a big studio. So we did a lot of the same stuff, like finding material that we we found interesting bringing actors together with writers, together with directors, together with studios, together. So it was a very creative job in some ways. Um, and then a in a many, many ways, it was also serving a machine that yeah. I didn't feel so connected to the art it was creating. Um, and I think maybe you have a similar For parallel sure. experience. Um, so on one part, it was incredibly creative because we could have an idea for something and then have resources to pull the right team together to make it happen. And there's nothing quite like seeing something like that come to fruition. Um, and then on the other hand, there's like mandates that are we know are going to reach a certain uh, group of people at a certain place in the country who are looking for a certain kind of procedural material that's very basic, that's not asking any interesting questions, that's like kind of popcorn so that the advertisers have something to play while the ads are running, which I always felt like... 
oh, you're asking me to create material to keep people glued to a screen so that they can like be sucked for their money. Yeah, so and, they can like buy Trident. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just not interested in doing that. Um, and I won't do that anymore. So that was the last job I had in entertainment. Before that, I was in an agency that had an incredibly amazing experience um, now what people need to know about an agency if you aren't in la or work in this world it is very like you're wearing a suit every day it is very cutthroat it is it's just hardcore they don't leave much room for individuality there yeah. so i just want to set that stage if, yeah. you're, if you're thinking about someone like ryan now who is you know very spiritual and a life coach and very much who he is that must have been tough for you to be a place like well, that yeah it was it was equally tough against kind of like it had its ups and its downs um but i worked at a company if people ever watched that TV show Entourage that was based on the company that I worked at. Uh-huh. Um, so you know all the people that I <laughs> I'm worked giggling because I know the people for, it was based on. Yeah. And um, so that was that was me uh, running around absolutely in a suit. Um, and the company at the time was a very lean company. It was really kind of cutting edge in the way it operated. And I chose to go there on purpose because this was before it had a major merge and it was like not a 6,000 person company. It was like a smaller 250 person company at the time, which is still small in, in terms scale, of, yeah. and especially doing the kind of level of work that it was doing. So I actually did find that I had the room to be an individual, which is very rare. That's amazing. But I got to say, even though they kind of encouraged us to be, you know, I came into that company and could see, ah, the people who are really succeeding here are people who are like really cutting space for themselves and doing something interesting. Not everyone, but a lot. There was room for that at least. And I'm going to do that, you know? Um, and did you? I would say I did. And then I got to the point of they were like, it's time for you to become an agent now. And we want you to go ahead and do this. And I was like, oh, I never wanted to do this. So it's so interesting because you do have such the right personality for those jobs, for the entertainment industry and to succeed. You're, you know, you have the will. You're so much fun. You're outgoing. You can connect to people because I do feel connecting it to what we do now. What I loved in the development side was you are actually bringing out the best of people. Like, what's their best material? What's their best voice? What's their best writing? Which hopefully in the world we're trying to do with people in general. But so why do you feel like it just wasn't gelling for you? Because I know if you chose to stay there, you would, you could be a plus in that world. Yeah. It, uh, I, I needed to do what I needed to do. And I felt that way in my life. Um, I was young enough and single enough and didn't have enough any kids to be in a position where I had to I felt like what I'm going to spend if I'm going to spend 10 hours a day or more 12 hours a day 14 hours a day on something it it's I need it to be what I need to be doing and I didn't need to be working as an agent I didn't need to be it didn't come from my kishkas it didn't come from my <laughs> gut it came from this desire to be important to make a lot of money and to sometimes feel creative and I had to switch that around now did you feel like you were searching at that time or do you feel like it, you just kind of knew and you were fine you know what I mean there's yeah. some people who literally are I'm guessing this was your 20s Yes. So I feel like a lot 20s. of people in their 20s just feel like, I'm just searching. Do I want to be a nurse? Do I want to be a teacher? Do I want to be in entertainment? Do I want to be a writer? Or like they're just, and they're trying on different hats. And then there's people who aren't necessarily searching, but are looking kind of for the confidence and the power to do what's somewhere in the back of their head they know they're supposed to do. Right. So which, wh- where do you feel like you fit in? I think I was always open to trying new things. And I, you know, before that, I was in a Broadway show for four years from Why don't you tell everyone old. what it was? I, 
did the musical Wicked on Never heard on it. Broadway. Well, I did it in Chicago actually for a year with Anna Gasteyer and Rondi Reed and these incredible actors. And then I moved to New York and did it in New York after it's that. Um, so that was like nineteen to twenty three years old for me. Uh, so I. And I and I I think just naturally as a human, from the time I was a young kid, my mom always said every two years I had some new thing that I was obsessed with. Like for two years it was marine biology, and then for two years it was genetics, and then for two years all I wanted to do is play baseball. And for two, so I constantly was switch like being like, okay, I learned that. Time to go to the next thing. Time to go to the next thing. And so I've always had that energy of exploration, but I also always knew like, I I don't I'm it was. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle doing something that's like I'm okay with doing be- and I need to do something that's deeply meaningful to me. So it's kind of a combination of both for you. Mm-hmm. So two years, I find that so interesting because I actually do have a theory that everybody has a number of years that they run on rotation. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like for you it's two. Do you find in your adult life that it's still a two-year cycle? For me, it's five. It's I always it's been five. I think it's longer. I do think it's gotten longer um, and it's been a challenge for me doing the work that I do now because I think I, I got to a certain point in doing this work now where I feel like, oh, okay, I'm I'm in my soul. I'm in my, I'm doing what I need to be doing. It's deeply enriching. It scares me every day. Um, it has such a wonderful payback for the effort that I put into it. Um, I feel like it's purposeful. I feel like I'm shifting people's, the work I'm doing is having an effect on people's lives. So all that's great. But then I also have the moment of like, um, do I want to do something else now? You know, like, do <laughs> I want to go habit. explore something else now? Has like uh-huh. a habit but now I'm ready to f- not fight that voice, but to say, I hear you. I see what you're because I would also say that that voice at this point, because um, I'm very committed to my path. When that voice kicks in, it's actually like a, a saboteur. It's like a sabotage like voice. That's like, you should stop doing this. You're getting too close to your heart and to God and to your center and to your true work in the world. Like, you should probably dim that light a little bit. Um, so I'm working to not respond to that. And but that's amazing that you're even aware of that. So do you feel like in your work, your own personal work, not the work you do with others, that that's kind of the struggle that repeats itself for you? Like, I feel like we all have something that you kind of heal and work with, and then you find it like rears its ugly head again in a different way. Like, do you think it's that or is it something else? Like, what do you feel like for you, you keep working? Yeah, that's a great question. And I probably could answer that question a hundred different ways. But what's coming up is I think it's absolutely there's an aspect of me that probably it comes from like a lack of worth or a lack of feeling like I own a place in the world or I deserve a place in the world. And so I it's that hug feeling. You right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I think everyone probably feels that some version of that, whether they use those words or not. Um, but that feeling of, you know, um, I don't deserve to be successful. You know, I don't deserve to, why should I have a voice that's louder than anybody else? You know, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Or I don't, that voice of that sabotaging, like, um, what do you call it? The uh, the imposter syndrome that like has kicked in my whole life. Just feeling like you're an imposter and you're living a life you're not supposed to. I used to feel like yeah. that with my first job in entertainment and I got an executive job pretty early in my career. And I remember I'd come home to my roommate every day and be like, I'm just waiting for them to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing. And just I just felt like I didn't belong. I didn't deserve the job. And it took like years for me to actually have that confidence. Not that I didn't have confidence, but to actually believe, oh, no, no, I am good at this. I can do it. I always felt like I was faking my way through it. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And I think 
that probably is a really good thing, right? Seen from that, from the other perspective, it's a great thing to not know what we're doing and to be entering into the unknown and to feeling like I don't know what I'm going to do or what I'm going to say when I pick up the phone call to pitch this script to somebody. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. Keeps you sharp. Keeps you sharp. It works your confidence, yep. right? It works your improvisational muscles. It works your faith in yourself. And you will flat, fall flat on your face a couple times. And when you do that and you fail, you realize, oh, I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. Okay. There's another day ahead of me. And that just strengthens us. But that brings up a really good point that, like you were saying, everybody has this imposter syndrome in some shape or form. It's just some choose like move forward regardless and just be terrified through it and feel like they're an imposter and some are paralyzed and actually yes. just don't move forward at all. Yes. Which and I'm it's sure interesting you that a you're a meditation studio owner because <laughs> I would say that things like meditation and yoga and eating healthy and taking care of your body and connecting to nature are the common denominator that would set apart the people who have the willpower to move through that block and the people who fail in that's the actually, face of it. That's fascinating. Right? So people who have a daily practice to ground themselves, to find their strength. The difference between those who um, can move through the discomfort of whatever is blocking them, whether it's a personal struggle like a heartbreak or um, a health condition or um, – something going on, really a difficult challenge in their career that they're facing or financially, the difference between those who come to the other side of it and realize that they're stronger for it and the people who get paralyzed and turn to whatever form of addiction they do to cope as mm -hmm. a result, right? Which we all do, whether we call it addictions or not, whether well, it's- Well, some are healthier and so they don't get labeled with like, exactly, kind of that label. Exactly. But at the end of the day, they have a negative impact, even if they are healthy, right? Right. Because they're keeping you from living your full potential. And You're right. embracing yeah. the discomfort. I mean, I think that that's the thing too, is a real practice, a real spiritual practice is not something that elevates you out of the stratosphere and brings you to this nirvana level like high. A real practice actually gives you the strength to go deep into the pain of being human, the fear of being alive, it's the so, insecurity. No, it's so fascinating that you say that because you and I have actually had this conversation before, but maybe we repeat it where a pet peeve for me, and we and I've been very honest about it, is when you know, you sometimes see, and it's a pet peeve, I need to work through it clearly, but when you see um, either depressed people or sad people or people that are very angry at anyone who's happy, and it, they tend to feel that anyone who's happy has had just so much luck in their lives, mm. and they it, they lose the perspective of, well, actually, that's not necessarily true. They might just know, like what you were saying, how to sit through some of their discomfort better. Like, I, we've all known people that have had some really shitty things happen in their life and could be some of the most amazingly happy people in the world. It's just how they process you know, negativity, how they process, you know, just really anything in their life from good to bad. And I just find it such an interesting concept of you're put here on this earth and we're all going to have some stuff. And yes, some people have it more or worse than others, but everyone gets something. Mm -hmm. I would say everyone has something mm -hmm. if it's not one. So, And I'd also challenge the notion that it's more difficult for others. I mean, yes, certain people's circumstances from a storytelling perspective are fucking horrible, right? Mm -hmm. And some some people, I was, I was throwing this Shabbat dinner on Friday and everyone paid for tickets to be able to be there. And one of the things that I brought up was, my God, didn't we win the birth lottery? If you're sitting in this beautiful home in the Hollywood Hills having a gorgeous Shabbat meal that you paid $100 to be here for, what a blessing, what a gift, what a... But that doesn't mean you don't experience suffering. That doesn't Absolutely. mean you're not human, right? And there's um, there's um, uh, um, 
a quote that I heard recently by the man who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. His name is Viktor Frankl. That's a great book. Great book. And especially for us Jews, but everyone should be reading it. He's a Holocaust survivor who's a psychiatrist or a psychologist going into the camp as a as a he was captured, right? And he enters into the camps and observes his own state of mind and the state of mind of others. And one of and he talks a lot in this book about it's actually really fascinating. He created a form of therapy called logotherapy, which I, in the modern day I'd actually call life coaching. Right. Um, because it really combines the psychoanalysis of traditional therapy with the questions that traditional therapy really doesn't ask, even dare to ask, which is like, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of our troubles? What's the meaning of our anxieties and our challenges? <clears throat> and the look at how the meaning you make of life, the story you tell about life, is how you experience life, right? So he wrote this manuscript about logotherapy right before he was taken by the Nazis. And when he came to the camps, they took this manuscript from him and he never saw it again. And that manuscript being taken from him while he was in the camps for three and a half some odd years, emaciated, being worked to the bone every day. Yeah, Those moments that came when he could have chosen to just die. I mean, talking about 0% body fat. Yeah. Anyone in that time, their desire to live and their will and their choice. It was a choice. It was a choice. And and what he said was in those moments, I knew I needed to survive so that I could write this manuscript. Manuscript. He had a meaning that he ascribed to the purpose of his life life that got him through the moments that he most was like, this is it. I don't know if my family's still alive. I don't know if my wife is still alive. I don't know what is going to happen so after why this. Am I here? My whole life has been taken from me. I've been degraded. I've been treated like a rat. But but he found a meaning in his to for and a purpose for his life and he was able to move through. And it was a choice and one of the things he talks about in it is this idea that's been sitting with me that he talks about how suffering is like a gas and it doesn't matter how much gas there is, it will fill the entire space that it enters. Hmm. And that's how suffering is. It doesn't matter how much suffering there is, it will fill the entire space. So some people may, from an outside perspective, have less suffering than others, but it fills the entire space unless we do something about it, right? Unless we find the practice to sit with it and to not tell a story about it and instead to actually feel it like, I'm teaching mitigation today, and the theme is heartbreak for today. Last week, last month was body dysmorphia. This month is heartbreak, and how do you move through heartbreak? And one of the things that we'll be talking about today is the difference between listening to the story that your mind is telling you about your heartbreak versus feeling the pain of it. So the difference between pain and ultimately so much of somebody's heartbreak, the kind of heartbreak that never ends, the kind of, well, the kind of heartbreak that I would say isn't real heartbreak is actually fear. So there's a difference between fear and pain, Yeah. right? The pain of having this person leave your life, that's real and that has to be felt and that has to be mourned and that takes time and no one should rush through that and people need to learn how to embrace that pain. And at the same time, you have to learn to also look at the 
fear part of it, the story that's going on in your mind that you're listening to about how now your life sucks because that person isn't in it anymore, or you're worthless because you don't have that partner, or how can I rebuild my life from here, or I needed them for my financial life or my whatever. Or even in the simplest way, how amazing that person all of a sudden becomes when you go through. (laughs) All of a sudden, they're like the perfect person. And you're like, wait. And then you're like, how did I not see it? And then you want to do a redo. Story, right? Story, story, story. And that the listening and paying attention to those stories and those thoughts on repeat keeps us from doing the one thing that's actually going to heal the broken heart, which is feeling the actual pain. Yes. It's such an interesting topic, too, because even if you take heartbreak one step further of actual loss and mourning and let's say death, it brings up that question of do, do you ever get over the death or someone losing or do you just figure out a way to kind of work around it, which I think is such a fascinating topic of is, is it like, yes, you sit in it and you learn. So then does, are you learning how to just incorporate it as part of you? So then you can function normally versus when you first feel those feelings, I'm sure it's just disabling and debilitating. Um, So I just find that such a fascinating topic of when it becomes part of you, does it remain? Is it like, or is it energy Mm. that dissipates or is it energy that changes with who you are? Yeah. And again, it. I think it, the difference deter- is determined based on your choice, right? We have a choice. And it's interesting, you, you use the word, um, or do you learn to work around it? And I think that you can choose to work around it, but the going around it is kind of an avoidance tactic. Right. And I know that's not what you meant. What you actually meant was working through it. But actually, that's a great thing, because it's like if you walked around anything, it just takes a lot longer. It takes a lot so longer. You might as well do the it's, and it's not going yeah. anywhere. And you're going to keep bumping up against it the more you try to walk around it. So learning how to find the strength to actually walk through it, right? And to enter into the discomfort. It's that when we when we're willing to enter into it and we're willing to feel it and we're willing to have practices that actually do that. As simple as like taking a fucking bath, right? And yeah. just sitting. Most people won't even stay there because they're so their mind is going so uncomfortable. Nuts. It's so uncomfortable and they're like I'm going to go do something else. But learning to and being willing willing to sit in just it. Just feel it. It's we, funny. I was doing that. I didn't realize I used to do that at a very, I used to tell all my friends going through breakups. I'd be like, I'm telling you, just rip the bandaid off. It sucks and it hurts. And for three days, you don't want to leave your house. And like your whole body literally feels like it's falling apart and you're questioning everything and your heart hurts. Like you can't move. I was like, but if you at least do that and don't do the email, now it'd be emails back then. It was phone calls and trying to see someone. And I used to say, it's just the long way. You end up in the same place, yes. but like why waste so But some people have to sometimes, but it was like, why well, waste so many weeks or months or even for some people years when like, to me, I, I'm a, I'm a like down and dirty. So yeah. I would rather sit in it. <laughs> I would, it. I would rather sit with it, deal with it and then rip it off and then know that whatever that time, it's going to be a lot shorter yeah. for me to get there. Yeah. And I would argue to say that you somehow in your life picked up the willingness and the strength to be able to sit with it and to yes. be able to deal with it and to be able to rip off the Band-Aid. It's the Israeli side. It's the Israeli side. <laughs> well, and and there must have been a lot of nurturing in there as well. For sure. You know, there must have been a lot of support and a lot of family, a lot of connection, a lot of understanding that life is not so clean and simple. And that it's okay. And that it gets messy and that it's okay to feel your feelings and it actually empowers you to sit in those feelings. And I would argue to say... 
you know that as a human being. Tal knows that as a human being, which is why she opened up a meditation studio because she saw that most people don't understand that. Most people don't know how to be with their shit and are constantly, especially in towns that are, you know, these big bustling entertainment. It's so easy to distract yourself. There's a million different people. You know, I look at like um, the dating app as an example. Like that's like the new, like, let me put on my, my TV show at night. It's like, let me go on my dating app and see who I can yeah. scroll through instead of um, just being with whatever I need to be with. So do you find since you've kind of become into this world as a life coach, do you find your love life has been better, yeah. worse, or the same? Well, I would say at first, it, everything seemed worse, right? Because when you're more conscious and you're more aware, you, you I, I'm going to speak from my, my perspective. When I became more conscious and more aware of what I really want, of what I really don't want, and of the kind of person that I want to be in the world, everything that didn't meet those things... I was suddenly seeing for the first time. And of course, the miracles talks about this. It says kind of like when we're on this journey, this spiritual journey, it will seem at first like everything's getting worse. It's not. You were just anesthetized to how bad it always was, right? So we grow up in a world of fear and of separation and anxiety, and we don't, we just accept it as normal because we don't know any better. It's like Plato's cave. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. And then at some point, it's it's the hero's journey, yeah. right? It's the story of the boot of Siddhartha becoming the Buddha. It's the story of uh, of 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 every great <laughs> avatar is they have that moment when they realize, oh my God, it does life doesn't actually have to be this way. I don't have to continue telling the story that I've been telling. I don't have to just assume that life is competitive and assume that relationships are fucked up and assume that people abuse me or whatever your thing whatever your wound, your story is, and we all have several that we repeat, as soon as we have that moment of like, oh my God, wait, I've been telling that story. And then we start kind of analyzing or or saying, make, staking a claim of like, this is how I want my life to be. These are the kind of relationships that I actually want. Now you're, we start to see the things that we don't want much more clearly. So it does, it did become much more difficult at first. And I had to move through, I'd say three, two, really tough um, several year relationships and breakups. One of them you were with me for. Yeah. Um, like, and my heart was broken more than it ever had been broken. And I would say that that wasn't so much because of the person I was in the relationship with, but it was more because of my own willingness to feel the actual pain. So one of my ex-partners um, right now is going through a really, really hard breakup. And we haven't spoken for many years. And he came back into my life because he needed just some connection around the heartbreak that he's going through. And he's realizing a lot about our relationship that he didn't realize until going through another relationship and realizing he did the same patterns and the same stuff. And now he's going, oh my God, wait, I need some clarity. Um, and he, oh God, well, I don't remember why I brought this up. You were talking about that you you had the ability to sit in it more this time and the pain and your last... Ah, ah, ah. He, uh, we talked just last night and he was in one of those moments of like, utter destruction. Like, I don't, I literally, I don't want to live anymore. I don't see the, that kind of real, real, real tough moment. Um, and one of the things that he was talking about, it was like, God, he's just like realizing how fucked up he is. And why doesn't he have the ability to be in this heartbreak? And why does he want to distract himself with all these things? And, and, um, 
And he was like, it shouldn't be this hard. And I said, well, you're thinking that it shouldn't be this hard because you're thinking that this is just a breakup with one human being. You're And you're not associating the reality, which is the breakup with this human being is bringing to the surface all the pain you've never felt, all the oh, sadness you've never felt, like all the rest. Re- yeah. All of it's like a massive zit popping. <laughs> and now you have to clean it all up. And And so if we just tell the story, oh my God, my heart is broken because of this one situation, we're stealing from ourselves the truth, which is all of the depressed stuff we haven't felt comes to the surface. So we no longer have to tell the story, I should be better at this, right? I should heal faster. It's like, no, you have a lifetime of stuff that's coming to the surface right now. So you got to let yourself, I mean, one of my breakups, I moved to the mountains. I moved to Topanga Canyon for five months after it. And um, sat in a bath every single day and did my work and was still a, a, a functioning, thriving human being. But I just knew I needed to almost like withdraw into myself. Now, do you feel like you do? Do you feel like you have that tendency of kind of when you're going through stuff, do you withdraw? Is that your... I don't. I, I actually think I have the tendency to do the opposite. Um, well, I should say my old story is I was very much kind of if there's two different styles of being in relationship, one is like the anxious, which also another word for that is narcissist. And then the other one is the I'm sorry, I, that's reversed. One is the avoidant which is also the narcissist. We, you and I have talked about yes. this. Narcissism and the other would be the anxious. And another word for that is the codependent. And I've always erred on the side of the codependent, of the well, anxious. Codependents and narcissists do really well together. Brilliantly <laughs> well together. <laughs> until you realize- It's brutal. You cannot do it. And at, one, at some point you realize, ah, okay, for three relationships, I've played the part of the either the avoidant or of the anxious, right? Of the narcissist or of the codependent. And I'm not going to do that anymore. And I'm going to bring myself more to the center between the two, the place where, because to a codependent, it seems narcissistic to take care of yourself. So for me to like say what I needed or what I expected or to bring to the table what what I, my requests felt selfish. It's so interesting you're bringing this up because it's actually something I wanted to talk to you about because I think about it a lot and you're, you're touching on it, but I feel like what's the next step? Like, let's say, as a codependent, you get to the place of realizing, well, I have to take care of myself. I'm important. I need to do what I want to. Like, I shouldn't be sacrificing those needs, which is a very healthy place to get to. What is the balance or the line of when selfishness happens and when it doesn't? Because the hard thing about being in any relationship is, yes, everyone needs to be their own human beings, and that's the healthiest version, but there's still a give and take, and there still has to be a level of acceptance of who someone else is and how they work with you. So, what is that balance? Because I do find it's a tricky tightrope to walk where you want to make sure you're taking care of yourself and not being codependent. But yet, when do you strike the line of you actually are maybe hitting a, some selfish tones? So I don't think there's one clear answer for this. And I'm going to use you and how well I know you as an example. You're a smart, grounded human being, and you always have the best of intentions. And you're always thinking about, you're always also willing to turn the focus back on yourself and go, okay, you already said it once. You were like, brought up something earlier, right? And you were like, I recognize this is my stuff coming up, right? (laughs) Um, Not a lot of people will communicate that way. So you are, I would say, a grounded, good intended human being. And do you fuck up with this stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. But do you also always come back to asking the question? Yeah, I ask it all the time. And exploring? Yeah. So isn't that probably what navigates the 
path of your relationship that's allowed it to keep moving forward and keep growing and keep um, moving through the difficult moments? For sure. I just find it's such an interesting thing of, and maybe it is from a codependent point of view, or maybe it is, it's just that ability of being a whole person, yet also making sure you're giving in enough yeah. to be a supportive partner. Um, if you know, if you're willing to be conscious enough to recognize, oh my God, I've developed this kind of patterned way of being, then maybe I'm going to try exercising the other side of that. I'm going to go into a relationship knowing that that's going to be my tendency, and I'm going to try being whatever, whatever that means. I'm going to try being being more present. I'm going to try being a little bit more conscious. I'm going to try offering a little bit more of myself. I'm going to notice when that tendency to run away comes up and I'm going to breathe through it instead of running. Now, what advice would you give? Because I think I, I hear it a lot when I just talk to people. I feel like a lot of people do get into relationships with narcissists and it is a really tough thing because a narcissist usually has no clue that they're being a narcissist. So yeah. it's actually a very difficult thing to break through because no matter what you say to them, they really don't see it. It's yeah. not that they're being obnoxious or they just don't see yeah. it. So what advice would you give to someone who's struggling in a relationship with a narcissist? I wish I could have that exact couple sitting in front of me so that we could really get clear get on, on all those things. Um, uh, listen, I think... I'm now in a relationship with somebody who really is coming to the table for the difficult conversations and is coming to the table to move through the challenges that we both know are going to come up together. And I feel safe. And I feel, I don't know if it was you that I, I was on the phone with a friend. He and I were going on a date last week. It was somebody else. And they were like, how do you feel? Are you excited for your date tonight? And I was like, you know what, actually, um, I'm a little nervous. And they're like, why? You've been seeing each other for a long time. Like, and I was like, because there's just been a couple of things that have been irking me um, about what's about us. And um, and when we sit down at dinner, I know he's going to feel that for me. And I know that he's going to bring it up. Not in a judgmental way. I've had been in relationships before where somebody will be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. And you're like, whoa, this doesn't feel like a very safe place to like share my what's going on with me. But he'll sit with me and be like, whoa, I'm like feeling that is there something you want to talk to me about? Like, I'm here, whatever it is. Like, I love you and I support you. And and like I knew that that was gonna you so knew. that's so the kind of relationship that I'm finding myself in. Yeah. Which is challenging for you in a great way. Very much because yeah. part of me wants to not deal with the stuff, but I know that he's going to feel it and bring it up and vice versa. So the you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I'll remind you of a story from very early in your relationship where there was that moment where something was irking you about him, something small, because it's the beginning. We're all looking for a million things for it not to work. And you were ready to end it. You were like, I'm done. This is the reason it's not going to work. And then when I saw you a week later and I said, so are you guys still together? Did you pull? And you said, no. And you said exactly that, that he actually just asked you about it. He felt it. He asked you about it. You had responded and he was so okay with what you said yeah. and actually then worked on the things you said, which is so amazing, by yeah, the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it was, so it's funny that you actually really do have, it's not a fluke. Like he, I, he yeah, brought that no, to the I table remember right that away. And, and another example of, of that is we experienced um, um, early on 
because we've both been coming to the table just being willing, right? Being and and we've both been in enough relationships now that have shaped us and formed us to know relationships are challenging and yep. they're supposed to be challenging. And they're supposed to be challenging because it's through that challenge and through that fire that we ultimately grow, right? And we burn away our bullshit and we come to the table and go, this is actually really serving my growth and it's beautiful that I get to do it with you and it's going to be challenging. You're going to push my buttons. I'm going to push your buttons. And there was a moment Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. So there was this moment when we'd been kind of really frustrated with each other. And I remember we were in the car and he was talking about how he was really trying to figure something out so that he could know how to show up for it and he needed to figure it out. And he kept, like, he talked for quite a while and he kept using the language, I need to figure it out so that I know kind of how to be within the relationship. And I... uh just was very much listening. And I responded saying, um, wow, you and I are so fundamentally different. I'm actually the polar opposite of that. I know that I, for me, I will not figure something out until I fully engage in it, right? He was saying, I need to figure it out first so I know how to engage, right? So therefore, he wasn't engaging. right? And I'm the opposite. I engage so that I can know how to figure it out. And I try to show up fully for it. And then that ends up showing me whatever it, it is. Um, and it was one of those moments where I think both of us could have looked at each other and been like, okay, cool. Well, then sayonara. This isn't going to work. But instead, we were both like, ah, that's how you are. This is how I am. Now I understand you. Now we understand each other. We have compassion for each other. We understand why we are that way. Which goes um, back to the acceptance thing. It's like, how can you just accept someone for who they are? And I think some people would say, well, then don't, won't that just turn me into a doormat? Like, if I just accept that my partner it is really this way. It really is the balance of the whole thing. How much you give, how much you take. It is. It's mm -hmm, tricky. Mm -hmm. Or... If there's any problems at all or struggles, does that mean you move forward? Because I agree with you. You do grow together when you work through stuff. But it's like, but wait, if some people would say there shouldn't be any problems at all to begin with. So then they don't enter that relationship either. So it is really, it's just a, a relationships are so fascinating. And I would say what you just said is the fundamental reason that relationships don't work is because people have not, I mean, and this should be the theme of this episode. I think this is what <laughs> keeps coming up. The purpose you ascribe to anything is what it becomes, right? And A Course in Miracles says you can either apply a holy or an unholy purpose to being alive, and then you'll find that purpose, right? So you can either look at life as this, and what why, what it means by holy would mean ah, an opportunity to learn who I really am, an opportunity to dive deeper into myself, an opportunity to challenge the beliefs that I've come into the world with or that I learned in my childhood to come into a deeper knowing of who I am in my core and in my truth, non-judgmentally, right? And if you look at life in that way, you're going to look at every challenge that happens in your relationships, at work, or with your health as an opportunity to drive, dive deeper. And so grow. The, and grow. But if you – so most people, we've been fed the story through massive – well, several hundred years of storytelling with romance storytelling and romance novels, which turn into romance movies. Um, you know, our friend Catherine Wood Thomas talks about quite about this. Um 
we've been fed the story also commercially that these rela- a relationship is supposed to be perfect and fun and the man and the woman and the six-pack abs and her beautiful legs and <laughs> strolling down a beach and eating beautiful food and having sex all the time and I've never seen a commercial that with two with a couple like a think about a car commercial have we ever seen a car commercial where that couple is fighting where she's feeling neglected which it should be because when you're buying a car who's not fighting exactly <laughs> exactly it's always the perfect like couple coming to you. To so get the all the car. storytelling we've been told been told by the media and the world in which we live is that relationships are, po- are supposed to be easy and when they get challenging you should run right some version of that relationships are supposed to be happy you're supposed to be having sex all the time you're supposed to be like perfect with other one's families or whatever, whatever you're supposed to be on the same page all the time and that story is well then i'm doomed we're all doomed <laughs> because of course the miracle says the purpose of relationship is for mutual healing of both people but healing doesn't happen through happiness all the time healing happens because the stuff that's unhealed comes up to become healed right that's how healing happens so we so so the purpose if the purpose of relationship is for healing that would mean the purpose of relationship is i'm going to trigger your shit you're going to trigger my shit and i'm going to have to move my th- my shit and you're going to have to move through your shit and somehow we're going to have to find a way to help each other through that shit and in a when it's world, coming we're up we're moving together and closer versus apart yeah and that's probably when it's successful is when you're moving together versus yeah. apart. And here's the other thing is there's a lot of people that understand this and still attract people who don't understand this and that doesn't work. Right. Both partners have to understand that the purpose of relationship is for growth, discovery, healing, um, to be challenged and move through the challenge. That's actually a really simple way to say it. I actually like, which actually makes me want to go back a little bit off relationships to you were just touching on it again and you were talking about it with man's search for meaning, just purpose and purpose in life. And, you know, whether it be as extreme as a concentration camp or just every day, just if you find and subscribe a purpose to yourself, it gives you meaning and drive. Yeah. Now, what would you say to just the average human being? Because people think purpose feels so grandiose. Yeah. It feels gigantic. It feels like if I'm not saving the world or I'm not Doctors Without Borders or I'm not, you know, a politician who's enacting, you know, amazing law, it just feels really big. And you kind of touched on it about healing. But what would you say to someone about the little purposes, the little things you can do in life that can actually really change. Again, it can make that depressed person who thinks happy people are lucky as hell, who can, it can start shifting the way someone looks at things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say that we have purpose backwards, that we think purpose is what you're saying, these like big, phenomenal, making a massive dent in the universe. And I would say that's backwards and that there's the that there's no such thing as a little purpose. That it's like the small moments. It's the moment when you realize, oh my God, I can actually shift the trajectory of somebody's entire day if I just give them a little love right now. And that's not some esoteric kind of like send them love. It's like, no, just show up and look at them in the eyes and help remind them that they're another human being. I think that's really our purpose. And if all eight billion people on the planet were doing that, let me just my intention for the day and my purpose for being alive is to remind somebody else that they're loved in whatever way, shape, or form. That Again, that does not mean that I'm going to put up a sign for free hugs. I think a lot of cynics <laughs> would listen to this and be like, oh God, fuck that love stuff. But love can just, looking at somebody when you walk by the street and smile at them, love can be standing and ordering your coffee. And everyone uses this example, but ordering your coffee or picking up your dry cleaning or the shit that we just do all the time. So just saying hi to someone. And just saying hi to the yeah. barista or the person and just being like 
not even giving them a compliment, but just being present with them. Yeah. Instead of looking at your fucking phone and being distracted by the 10 million things you have to go do next and treating them like a transaction. Like listening to someone's story if they have something to tell you. Right. You, you don't have to give all, the best advice. Every and I'm just human listening. on the planet just wants to also feel their purpose, right? We all want to feel that there's some meaning to my being alive. And if I can help you remember that and you can help me remember that, that's a really beautiful thing. So that's fascinating. It's basically saying one's purpose can be as simple as just letting someone else feel like they have purpose in that moment. Epic. And, it, and Tweet that's, that shit. I mean, it's tiny and it's, and again, I hate, you're right, saying a small purpose isn't fair, but that is a very tiny thing you can do because just acknowledging someone's existence, whether it be just with a look, like yeah. you said, doesn't have to be the hug or yeah. the smile or the thank you, just acknowledging someone's existence automatically gives them purpose. And it's a, that exactly what you're talking about. That is a muscle that we develop, right? To go out into the world and moment by moment by moment, keep our eyes up and and seek being present in moments of connection. That doesn't mean go out and like be obnoxious and talk to every single person you can. That's like a needy, I need to feel. But just to be aware <laughs> right, that's, of- That's like, what are you actually trying to receive from yeah, that? I was imagining a couple people in my life I who do so that many. in the name of love that are like, I'm gonna go out and talk to everyone. It's no. like, no, no, leave them, let them do their thing. But there's there is it is clear, life will bring you those moments, right? Life will show you moments where you have an opportunity to show up if you're aware of it. And so if you're responding to those moments with love and presence and awareness and helping somebody else feel their purpose and their meaning in their life, if you do that over and over and over and over again, all of a sudden, a month later, a year later, whatever, you're like, oh my God, I've figured out my purpose in life, right? Like, oh, I'm. this is what and I'm supposed to do. And you might not even have to think about it that way because you just might be feeling more whole, period. Exactly. So it's, you don't almost even have to like dwell on it. Right. I mean, that just brings up a funny story where it was one of those days for me that everything went wrong. My car was towed, my own fault, um, parked it in the, you know, four o'clock zone and just totally forgot about it because I got into work. I had a crazy year last year, did not get my smog check. So then they held the car. So then the oh, next God. day was getting to the DMV first thing in the morning. Then going back to the tow truck place, they look at me and basically say, um, no, you're not supposed to come here. You're supposed to go all the way to Santa Monica, which from where I was was very far. I'm like, are you joking? He's like, nope. I had to go 45 minutes in an Uber there, then wait. It was freezing. They weren't very nice. Drive all the way back 45 minutes, then I had to go get my – I mean, it was just one of those days I laughed. Wait, I did, and she was, what she missed was she said, and then I had to go get my child? Was that what you were about to say? I, I was Yes. At one point, then I'm like shopping for my child. because she's like a mom like, too. A mom and a business owner. It was crazy. <laughs> and a business owner. And, and look, the whole day I did have the perspective of this was my fault to begin with. But I will say, like to what you were saying, and I don't know if it was me who showed up first. Frankly, I really don't think it was. I think it was the guy who worked in the tow place. There was something about him that was so lovely and nice. And the way he just looked at me when he saw me coming in, the minute I knew I went to the wrong place, which nobody told me to go anywhere different, there was something he said or did. It was simple as like, I know you're about to have the biggest tour of Los Angeles and I'll see how it is when you get back. That just immediately made me feel okay. And yeah. it changed the trajectory of my day. Yeah. And I joke because everyone I told what happened was like, that's horrible. I'm like, actually, you know what? It was fine. Everyone was so nice that I met. And I really, I kept meeting really nice people at the smog check place. The DMV woman was really nice to me and kind of let me off with something. And then, I mean, I love that guy at the tow truck place. He was nice to me all three times I saw him. And it was just, it's true. I think he showed up for me 
just a little bit. And then it changed me and allowed me to show up from to everybody else, to the woman serving me at Winchell's because that was the only place open down the street. Yeah. So I think it was pretty great. So this I think podcast it, it's is like, sponsored by Winchell's. And Trident, because I think I mentioned that earlier. Do they even make Trident anymore? Yeah, of course. Oh, they do? It's all my dad shoes. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't like gum, so I don't even think about it. But Trident that, and Winchell's. And so that, that notion is what some people and what, what many people would call Pollyanna, right? That you could be in a day where one thing after the next wasn't going your way and you chose to have some kind of power over your feelings. You remembered, oh, and he helped you remember, right? And we'd call them an angel yeah, and we'd great. call that a miracle, right? The moment when you remember Ah, uh, I have choice here, right? Because some people would hear that guy being nice to them and would say, fuck you, man. You don't even know how hard my day right. has been. I'm not interested in your humor right now. But you also are open. You're an open human being. You I was have really a practice. For him. Yeah. And so you were able to see the gift when it showed up. So many people have not practiced and honed that muscle of awareness. So they don't see the gifts when they show up. And the gift is also is always something that helps us open our perspective to seeing something differently, right? So I recently had a procedure that was very, very, very uncomfortable medical procedure. I'm not going to get into what it was. I know what it is. You know what it was. <laughs> um, and it was very, very, very uncomfortable. It felt very evasive. Um, and I was 100% awake for it. And Ugh. I lied down on the bed for the situation. And I they started the procedure. And, you know, the doctor was very nice. But he said a couple things that really freaked, really, really freaked me out. <laughs> like, hey, just make sure not to touch any of the metal on the bed, which <laughs> the whole bed was surrounded by a metal frame. Um, because if if you do during this procedure, you can get electrocuted. Oh, God. Right? So, like, that was one thing. And then with the procedure, and then I noticed my potential. Well, I got to say, actually, I laid there, and I heard all of that, and a mantra was just, like, going through my head, right? I'm a kundalini yoga certified teacher and student, and the mantra Sat Nam, which means truth is my essence, which is just a sound current, was just going naturally. It was just going through my mind. Sat Nam, Sat Nam, sat, nam. And that mantra then reminded me to breathe. So I was taking deep breaths. So I was laying there. And you can only imagine the effect that had on my physical body. Meanwhile, like my brain was completely calm and I started sweating. So my body was really uncomfortable. My animal, the animal part of me was like, you're not safe. You're not safe. It was literally sweating, like trying to get, get out of here. You're uncomfortable. But my mind, and I was just observing it, was going sat nam, sat nam, sat. And old Ryan six or seven years ago would have been like, this really fucking sucks. I can't believe I have to do this right now. Ow, ow, ow that hurts. Ow, that hurts. This is really uncomfortable. I can't believe the person who is the reason I had it. It just would have been going insane. But instead, I just got to observe the experience. And there are days in our life when everything goes haywire. And there are days in our life where everything goes great. Do you have any other best worst days that are just right at the top, like tip of your tongue? Um, I did have a best day, um, a miraculous day, the one and only time that I was very clear that I heard like the voice of an angel in my mind, um, which I know sounds insane. But um, it sounded insane to me at the time. But um, I had this miraculous – it was actually the worst day that turned into the best day. Um, and it was the day that I didn't realize I would find the home that I now live in and my very first coaching client that started the trajectory of my coaching practice. Um, and it was a day that I woke up. I had $200 in my bank account. I had spent 
about a year and a half unemployed after leaving the entertainment industry, blew through all my money, moved out of the house that I lived in um, because many, many, many reasons, but was living at my sister's house on the upper bunk with my little three-year-old nephew at the time. <laughs> super, super frustrated. I literally had no money in my bank account. And for somebody who had been this like thriving entertainment, blah, 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 blah it was like incredibly humiliating, but also incredibly humbling to be in that place and and have to deal with that level of insecurity. And, um, and I'd also during that time been practicing spirituality in a real active way every when what I mean is like a daily practice right I'd always like thought about the ideas and had a yoga practice and was kind of like doing and thought of myself as kind of a spiritual person but at this point in my life because of need because I literally did not know what I was going to do with my life I was not in a great place um, I, I turned to a daily 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 practice of my Course in Miracles practice my meditation practice and my yoga practice and I it was non-negotiable um, and I was waking up every morning kind of doing what A Course in Miracles says and asking the universe where would you have me go what would you have me do what would you have me say and to whom meanwhile my cynical mind was like like, who the fuck are you talking to? <laughs> and meanwhile, my like open mind was like, please give me the I'm answers. Reading. Why yeah, are you right. taking so long? And I'm reading this text <laughs> that has said the reason you don't believe in the universe is because you have not chosen to believe in the universe and therefore you haven't witnessed it in action in your life. But if you just look around you, there's evidence of it working in every way, shape and form just from the fact that you have 50 trillion cells inside your body and you're breathing and you're talking and you're, that is not a miracle enough. So you should start living in a way that's open to seeing that. And so I started opening up my awareness so that maybe, maybe, I thought maybe. It's like I, I, I think right around that time I heard some comedian say something like, I don't know if I believe in God, but I'd rather choose to believe in God. So when I die, if there is a God, it'll be like, oh, great. I lived my life believing in God. And all that. there's all this great and you've been helping me. But if I die and I realize there is no God, then at least I lived my life as if there was instead of living in this like pain and pessimism and and scarcity mode of like there's no one here that supports me and there's no universal and this universe shit is crap and all my life you know and I'm telling that story right so I would rather live so I was like you know what I'd rather live as if let me practice living as if there is some supportive intelligence of life that that is directly giving me life every single day and is the reason I'm alive and sustains me here and let me have a conversation with it and this morning, this one morning when I woke up at my sister's house, um, I went into my day. I knew I needed to look for a place to live, even though I had no money. I went to go look at a couple. Of, I'm giving you cliff notes. I like it. I went to go look at a couple of places. Um, I left the second one and was like, all right, universe, thank you for showing me these places, this or something better. Where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to live? I'm open to seeing. I left. I was fun employed, right? So I had all the time in the world. I got a phone call from a mutual friend of ours who I hadn't seen in several years, who um, I had run into the day before at Earth Bar. And she said to me something about seeing you yesterday and having a quick catch up with you. I'd like to see you and I'd like to talk to you. So I drove to her house that that moment. Um, and she opened up to me about a life-threatening illness that she had had, and she was losing the function of her left leg. And I just started asking her questions. And very much like in my humility, and probably also in my imposter syndrome, just saying, um, I don't know if I can help you, but this is the stuff I've been reading about, and this is stuff I've been practicing, and are you aware of this stuff? And we started going through it, and by the end of our two hours together, she was. I asked her to go into a to a runner's lunge on the floor. Mind you, she was losing the function of her left leg. 
I asked her to go into a runner's lunge and, uh, and bring her left leg forward. And she said, I can't, you know, I can't do that. I, I haven't been able to do that in 10 years. I was like, okay, cool. Let's have a seat. And I just asked her to notice she hadn't tried, right? She hadn't tried to bring left leg forward. There was a thought in her mind that said, I can't do it. And therefore she didn't put effort into trying to do it. And, and so I said, if that keeps running the show, and I understand you have a tenure diagnosis, um, uh, and you have a lot of pain and a lot of stiffness and, and inability, and you have doctors telling you that you're going to end up becoming paralyzed. I understand that that you have a epic mounds of evidence to support that you can't do this right now. And let's leave a little bit of room for the possibility of another possibility. And so I started asking her to just like repeat after me and do some affirmations. Um and we started talking about how she's remembering that she's supported by a universe that's supported her entire life and that the healing of her leg is happening right now and that she herself is a miracle and that she's willing to experience healing. And we started telling that story and repeating over and over and over and over and over. And there was a moment where I kind of like something switched in her and I observed it. And it was like she almost, not almost, she actually believed what she was saying probably 10 minutes in. And I said, okay, now let's do it. Bring your left leg forward into a runner's lunge. And she did it. That's amazing. With grace, literally. And I remember she has these big, beautiful eyes. And she looked up at me. I was standing right above her and she just had tears coming down her face. And then that was that. And I left her house. And I got a, I know this is a long story. I got a phone call from an old colleague of yours and mine, somebody who was an assistant that like worked up the agency world with me. She used to be an assistant at the desk next to mine. She and I had not talked in like seven, eight months at this point. I'm leaving the woman's house I was just talking about. I'm in my car. I knew that I wanted to go to a Marion Williamson lecture that night, but I didn't know what else I was going to do. I had like an hour and a half. And my friend calls me right then and she says, I miss you. What are you doing? I haven't seen you forever. I just moved into this apartment building like six, seven months ago. Why don't you come over? I was like, where is it? And she goes, it's in West Hollywood on Harper and Fountain. Um, and uh, and I was like, cool, I'm actually around the corner from there. And then it's right near where I'm going to my lecture. So I get, I go to her building, I get out of my car. Have I told you this story before? Yes, but it's amazing okay. and everyone should hear it. So I get out of my car. I'm walking this like gorgeous 1921 beautiful Spanish architecture building in the heart of West Hollywood on this quiet little tree-lined street. And I walk in this beautiful front lawn of like sprawling grass. I'm like, this doesn't exist in LA, let alone I'm here. And then I walk to the front gate and I buzz her unit and I put my hand on the gate and I heard a voice that said, welcome home. And I chills went down my spine and I looked to my left because I just automatically assumed that there was a man somewhere that said it. And so I looked to my left and there was no one there. And I looked to my right and there was no one there. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay. And I walked into this building and there was this gorgeous fountain and this outdoor fireplace. And there was literally a guy playing guitar on the balcony, <laughs> smoking cigarettes. And there was church bells and a Mother Mary statue. And I'm like, where am I? And uh, my friend weighs me into her unit and I walked into her unit. And that very same voice said, as soon as I walked into her unit said, this is your home. And she then said, now mind you, she's was, um, uh, 
very kind of type A, cynical, very successful Hollywood uh, agent who was like definitely not practicing yoga or meditating or – and so I hear a voice that says, this is your home. And she says, did you just say you're supposed to live here? And I said, no, I didn't say that. And she said, weird. Okay, well, anyways, um, come here. And she grabs my hand and a flashlight and she runs me across the courtyard and she shines a flashlight into this unit with this beautiful, I mean, like original terracotta floors and wood beam ceilings. I mean, arched doorways built in 1921. She goes, this guy, Barry, moved out this morning and there's never an availability in my building and there's a wait list, but like, do you want me to see what I can do? Like, are you actually looking for a place? And I was like, if you only knew where I've been today <laughs> and like, what's going on? She and I hadn't even caught up yet. The next morning I went to go see the place. I go, uh, I'm sorry. The next morning I wake up, I get a call from the landlord saying, um, everyone in my building emailed me saying they want you to move in. I didn't meet any of them. So my friend, out of the kindness of her heart, went to her, all the people in the building who were all her friends and and said, please email our landlord about Ryan. So she goes, why don't you come meet me? I go, I meet her. We have a great time. Um, she's like, come back with a check for 2,500 bucks and the place is yours. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> I had $200 in my bank account. <laughs> I leave. I'm like, all right universe god you are clearly all over this one like i have no doubt the fact that i found this place and it happened on the day that i've been saying and i've been willing to go look at a place and so show me the money you know minutes later my phone rang and it was the woman with the who I did the session with the day before, which I didn't realize was my first coaching session ever at the time. Um, And she said, so remember, she's the one who brought her leg forward. And she said, I woke up this morning. And for the last 10 years, I've woken up every single morning deathly afraid that this would be the day that I wouldn't be able to move my body, that I'd be fully paralyzed. And I wake up stiff and sore and challenged and I'm a, I'm just I hate getting out of bed in the morning. And this morning I woke up and I threw my covers off and I literally danced around my house like I used to do when I was a little girl and I didn't even realize that I was doing it until about an hour in. I had felt no pain in my leg. I was just like, "Oh my god." She goes, "Something shifted in me yesterday and I need more of it." And I said, "Great." I'm going to go pick you up a copy of A Course in Miracles, which is this metaphysical text I was talking about yesterday. I think that would be really great for you to look at, and I'll get you a couple books about it to help you. I think you should meet my mentor, Marion Williamson. Like, you should have a conversation with her and do some work with her, and then we should find you, like, a health coach and kind of figure out what the right thing is for you. She's like, no, 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 no. I have tried so much of this stuff over the last 10 years. Um, I want you to be my life coach. And I was like, and I laughed <laughs> and I said, I'm not a life coach. Um, I'm not certified. I'm not a coach. I don't, I don't know what you're saying. And she said, I don't care. I knew you'd say no. So here's the thing. I worked with like a coach healer once. I would pay for 10 sessions at a time for $250 a piece. So I already wrote a check with your name on wow. it for $2,500. And I'm coming to you right now. Where are you? 
I know it sounds insane, but your experience was the exact experience that I had. So all the voices in my head that said, you can't do this, you can't coach her, this is not what you do, like, how dare you think, what are you, a spiritual teacher now? Come on. It was like life just made it so clear. And so as I said, yes, and that that worst day ever turned into the best day ever. And that was seven years ago and started the trajectory of my practice. But it brings it all back to what you, and you said it a few times in there, it's just choice. You made the choice that morning to actually ask. You made the choice that morning to believe. You made the choice to listen. And that changed everything. And we've been talking about it. We've been peppering it in throughout this entire podcast. If you make the choice to look at it differently, if you make the choice to go into a relationship and know that it could be work, but that could be amazing, it's all about choice, which is a beautiful thing because that means you have power. And there's probably a lot of people listening going, yeah, but... Right. He didn't have three children as a single mother. Yeah, but he didn't have whatever life circumstances are so ginormously you feel like you're under the weight of the largest um, weight that you cannot move, right? There are people who are in so much agony that they go, yeah, nice for him, but he didn't have what I wasn't dealing with what I'm dealing with. And to that person, I'd say, please still make the choice. Please still make the choice to be willing, just even a little bit. Of course, the miracle says, just your slightest willingness is responded to by this universe. So for those people who are listening that are in any of a yeah, but, of course, miracle says five minutes spent in the morning with whatever you want to call it, it calls it the Holy Spirit, but whatever you want to call it, your intuition, your highest self, God, love, universe, whatever, five minutes spent in the morning with that presence will ensure that it's in charge of your... That's incredible. And it's actually a perfect place to wrap up because unfortunately you have to teach, but I think that actually goes into just telling you a little bit more where you can find Ryan. I really do suggest that you go and get his daily emails for exactly what he just said right now. It will inform and change the decisions you make throughout the day. You've heard him all... All you've heard through this entire podcast how inspirational you are. You just have such an amazing outlook on life. So there's zero reason to just not click that you want to do that. It, there and you get just it will really uplift you and change the way you look at everything. But really quickly, if you can rattle them off for the community out there, what's your favorite spiritual book? I know what you're going to say, but what do you think I'm going to say? Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. No, Go. tell, tell no, me. No, no. Well, it's I, actually because I can name another one. Well, I would say I mean, Course in Miracles. I feel like tends oh, yeah. to be your. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I would recommend somebody, if you're interested in Course in Miracles or any of the stuff that I'm talking about, it's what comes from that. Um, But to get, before you get the course, to also get Marianne Williamson's book, A Return to Love. Or if you want to get like a weird book, this book called The Disappearance of the Universe by Gary Renard. Both of them are about A Course in Miracles. So it's sort of like you can read the cliff notes before you dive into it. I think that's really important. Um, Is there a movie that's affected you? Or documentary. Oh, my God. Tom Shadyac's movie, I Am. Did yes. you ever see yes. it? Yes. Amazing. Really good. And his desire to bring science into the spiritual conversation so that you can kind of understand that there is a real way of starting to verify what the unknown support system that we have. Um, I Am by Tom Shadyac. Um, So if you had one piece of advice to do, I mean, what you were saying besides getting your emails, but one piece of advice to do first thing in the morning, what would it be? Go to gratitude the minute you open your eyes. Spend a few moments thinking about 
all the ways that you are blessed in your life and bring your attention to that, even if you feel like your life is under attack by the world, to open your eyes and recognize you have the choice to find things that you can be grateful for before you jump on your phone and before you jump into your responsibilities for the day. That little shift, if you do it every single day, makes a massive impact on your life. And I'd love it if you could lead us through a five-minute meditation. But before that, you can find him at wakingupwithryan.com on, yeah. on the internet or Waking Up With Ryan for Instagram. But we would love it if you could lead us through five minutes, whether it be gratitude or something that's easy that people can take with them. Yeah. Um, and thank you. Yeah, of course. Of course. Thank you for having me. Hey, if you liked what you heard in this podcast and want more of Ryan, we are actually doing a workshop Thursday, August 9th in the La Brea location, How to Have Hope When the World is Falling Apart. Super topical, exactly what we need right now. If you want more of Ryan, 10meditation.com. Feel free to go through Mind Body and sign up ahead of time. I would love to do a little meditation um, on... So whatever that may be, a financial fear, a relationship issue, a health concern, um, a meditation to move from the problem to the solution. So I'd invite everyone listening to close your eyes and sit comfortably and take a few deep breaths with me. Take a few more deep breaths, exploring the depths of your ability to open as you inhale and pulling in the belly as you exhale, recognizing that so much is happening as we simply sit with our eyes closed, focusing on our breath. feeling safe inside our bodies, inside the space in which we sit, allowing ourselves to be here right now fully. So noticing perhaps the ways the mind is attempting to get our attention through story, thoughts, and just letting yourself be totally okay with that for a moment as you simply breathe. Again, feeling safe in this space. As we bring to mind the very thing that is triggering us, that is causing us pain, anxiety, sadness, anger, regret, doubt. The very thing we are wishing would be different about our life. the thing that we can feel weighing us down, that's sitting on our shoulders, the thing that we have felt powerless in the face of, 
So letting that situation and all those who are involved come to the forefront of your mind as we take a deep breath in and exhale. Simply letting it be here as we begin to notice the story we hold about the situation, our perspective. And as we rewind to the moments that the situation that pains us were unfolding, the early development of the concerns about this situation. We let ourselves be aware that there is a mountain of thought that has created beliefs about the situation, about this person. And so we just hold that in our awareness. We are aware that we have so much information about this situation and that it is 100% understandable that the information we have is informing everything we now believe which is informing every action we're taking or the lack of action we're taking. And so in our willingness to grow, in our willingness to learn trust, we begin to find just even a glimmer of gratitude for this situation in our life. This situation that is so pushing our buttons, that is so bringing to the surface our fears, our concerns, our anxieties. This situation is helping us to become aware of the unhealed beliefs within us. And for that, we are grateful. As we begin to open, to open our awareness, to be willing to place everything we believe about this situation on the altar. We take our entire belief system and every thought we've ever thought and we place it on the altar, on the place where we are met, where our humanity is met by divinity, is met by this high loving energy. This energy that knows no fear, no lack, no scarcity, this energy that knows only love, perfection. 
connection, abundance. We place our belief system on the altar and we allow the intelligence that rests on this altar to begin to dig into our thoughts and bring the unhealed, fearful beliefs that we hold, bring them to healing. And we remember we are willing to do so so that our own level of thinking about ourselves in the world becomes amplified by love and purpose and meaning and connection. Let's take a deep breath and exhale. As we temporarily are willing to let go of our belief system, that it may be changed, that it may be altered for us, what we place on the altar is then altered. And to this energy, to this grace, we say thank you. And to the person or the situation that has been triggering us, we too say thank you. Thank you for exposing wounds that I have. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to change my own habits, to alter my own belief systems. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to empower myself to find my strength, my grit, my love, my faith. Thank you for helping me rediscover my connection to an intelligence that knows no bounds. As we trust that that which we place on the altar is now being redeveloped and placed back into our consciousness and trusting that life itself will provide opportunities now for us to approach this situation a little bit differently, with a little bit more patience, a little bit more ease, a bit more understanding, compassion, calmness, whatever the salve that's needed as we take another deep breath and exhale, we simply ask that this universe and the love that rests within each of us continue to show us the way from our problem to its solution. from our pain to our healing, from our fear to our grace 
as we take one last deep inhalation together. Exhaling. And so it is. And so it is. Dentox is produced by Michael Burke, Mike Burns, Reem Edon, Nicole Rappi, and music by Alex Fetter.